0: I mean, this is 40k. If at first you don't succeed, just increase the number by one and try again. I'm looking at you, 13th Black Crusade. Hey, that one did succeed. (laughs) You can't stop (laughs) at four. Doesn't mean there won't be a 14th, though.
1: (laughs) No. from the Mundangerous Shattered Moon in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 217 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for
0: game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about the dark military fantasy setting, Band of Blades. But first, the rogue traders search for a needle in a haystack in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the mercy heals like a masochist in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by D&D Beyond.
1: D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons.
0: It's also a very handy uh, compendium and search database for if you want to find out, oh, I don't know, hypothetically, for example, what creatures are chaotic evil. Mm -hmm. Yep. Maybe you're looking to uh, inspire your next character creation forge build
1: because you have a podcast that has to do this constantly and boy, is it hard to find that list
0: yeah and you're thinking I should just google it and then you realize wait a minute I have a D&D Beyond account I'll google it on D&D Beyond <laughs> so there's also lots of other awesome content uh, much of it available for free like the D&D basic rules articles from writers like James Shea Heck and videos from people like Todd Kenrick
1: you can also just build characters or track your campaigns or run your adventures or you know build encounters you know you could do all the just regular playing
0: Dungeons and Dragons stuff Yeah, you can be lazy while you're running a game and just open your laptop at the table without doing any planning and pulling up appropriate CR level creatures and then throwing them at the party. Yeah, you you can also just click a button to finish a short or long rest if you're a player. Very convenient. Mm -hmm. What was at the table last time? Hey, is there a button for a long rest? Yes. (laughs) Where there's there's definitely button. It's right at the top. Come on. (laughs) And of course, the site is always updated with new features. So improvements are always coming. You can check it out at dndbeyond.com. Speaking of checking things out, Shane, we're doing some other stuff that people might be interested in. Yeah, I mean, kind of
1: doubling down on the theme of this episode uh, with Band of Blades, we are leading, organizing, running, playing Stream of Blades, which is our uh, Wednesday night uh, Twitch stream of our Band of Blades campaign.
0: Yeah, live and on video. Neither of those are things we typically have done Right, (laughs) so a bit of a learning curve Um, But last week we had
1: our premiere Um, This week we had episode 2 So it is 7pm on Wednesdays If you want to check it out It is twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast And you can also look at that twitch now Or on our YouTube to see the episodes you've missed
0: Yeah, we are of course recording this before we play the second uh, episode But Shane, let me ask you, how did it go? Uh, it went better than I expected. <laughs> I think that is 100% true. <laughs> uh,
1: the first episode went great. I'm really uh, I'm really looking forward to where this campaign is going. I think we've got some cool characters to anchor the campaign, and uh, we've got a lot of cool like lore that we have built for ourselves, so uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, and I think I highly recommend, if you can, watch live, because that means you can also be in the Twitch chat, and... Uh, it does seem like uh, the developer and some other people who know a whole lot about the game are joining us, and uh, so pitching in and telling us, that's not how you do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or like, it's it's super helpful when we're like, oh, I remember there's a rule about this, but I can't quite remember how it works, and then it's just like, oh, the answer's in chat.
0: Right. <laughs> that saved me looking up a page. Also in chat uh, are bunches of people upgrading the monsters, so thank you for that. Yeah, we set it up so if you donate some bits, you can screw over the party well you know we do have a dead rookie and that's Mm
1: -hmm. all your fault uh that is yes that is all twitch chat's fault i didn't even really try to kill that
0: rookie don't put that one on me that death (laughs) isn't on my hands (laughs) all right well speaking of dead rookies dead armsmen things potentially going better than we actually expect shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign
1: so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And once again, the Rogue Traders find
0: themselves in the deadly living jungle outside Meridian. We should know better than to be here. Mm-hmm. From space, we saw the jungle and said, that looks dangerous. Uh, but yeah, even before you got to... Uh Got to the system. You had a dossier
1: of information from your uh, your good friend, Lord Captain Duhan Roth, and it said, hey, that jungle
0: sucks. Yeah, uh, we've been here before. We've set it on fire. We've had many, many armsmen murdered by it and the Apex Predators who are kind of invisible. Well, What are you doing in it now, then? Ah, uh, we are slowly searching for an Eldar burial ground which mm-hmm. we have been tasked with locating by uh, an Eldar Farseer on a faraway craft world. Yes?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, she uh, she's an Eldar Spirit Seer, so like a specialty... Uh, farseer who wants to siphon all of the souls out of the planet's world spirit uh, and put them to work in their wraith engines to defend their craft world against uh, like a tyranid high fleet
0: whatever trank doesn't understand any of that yeah the
1: the good part of this is once all those eldar souls are gone and the world spirit powers down this jungle should be a lot more manageable
0: oh trank understands that (laughs) right (laughs) so find the burial ground huh find the barrows well, the people who actually spend the most time in the jungle are actually the techno gangers, like a gang of like street criminals who fight amongst themselves for Archaeotech, and they find that Archaeotech in the ruins in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So we interrogate them. Yep. You get as much information as possible out of uh, the various
1: gangs, and then you launch your first expedition, which, how does that go, Ishan?
0: Great. It went great. For about two weeks. <laughs> Yeah. Then we abandoned it. Uh, Why? Well, we weren't finding anything, and also many people died. Yes. So
1: uh, (laughs) you you come back. You've got a new lease on life, a new plan, and you plan a second second expedition uh, further west. Um, And this one shows a little bit more promise.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is 40K. If at first you don't succeed, just increase the number by one and try again. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, 13th Black Crusade. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hey, that one did succeed exactly right you can't stop (laughs) at four
1: doesn't mean there won't be a 14th though (laughs) no So uh, this one, as you're you're headed out there, it's showing a lot more promise. And as an added benefit, now you've brought your Stalker Sense goggles. If you recall, you started developing these. These were some of the um, potentially heretical developments of Doc's uh, product laboratory uh, that were meant to help you spot those Emerald Stalkers hunting you in the jungles in defense of your mining operations. Um, And using these goggles, you're able to reduce casualties to Company 6, like down to only like 50 percent
0: which is really good because most people don't survive even a single mission in company six yeah i know like a 95 percent casualty rate down to 50 (laughs) i mean that's huge huge is it i don't i don't know how many people are in company six and i and don't tell me i don't care
1: you're literally solely in charge of them
0: (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) i also don't care that's why i don't care so
1: after three weeks of topographical scanning from your ship, highly honed psychic detection from your psychers, Flair and Silva, uh, and just a bunch of like stubborn stick right? Like blind faith that you're on the right path. Uh, eventually you get to a spot and Flair and Silva declare that they have found the site. Um, they're detecting these strange little micro eddies in the warp. They're like these subtle little differences that if they weren't looking for it, they would have never noticed. Um, and if they hadn't been practicing, like spotting these things, like detecting like such a fine level of warp over the past month, like they probably would have never found it anyway. Um, but here you are, you clear some foliage and you find a marker, a, uh, a waist high obelisk of wraith bone that is just protruding from the ground.
0: It used to be carved, but now it looks like it's been worn smooth by the weather. Yeah. And with that marker, Though you have set off to find a needle in a haystack,
1: you rogue traders seem to have found a needle. And we'll find out what we do with it next week. So this week, we are talking
0: about the campaign setting for Band of Blades. So with this series, uh, what we're trying to do is we spend just a little bit of time telling you about uh, a different setting that you could potentially set your game in. Uh, and hopefully by the end of this episode you'll know if your group is interested in playing a game set in the Band of Blades setting. Now this is a little bit different because Band of Blades is also tied to a uh, specific game system, like it's a packaged game. We'll talk a bit about the mechanics as well but we'll also give you some options on how to play just in the setting in a different kind of game system. Right, yep. So Shane, what is the elevator pitch for Band of Blades? So Band
1: of Blades uh you get to play a mercenary company on the retreat after losing the fateful final battle between the armies of mankind and the undead armies of the Cinder King.
0: Yeah, I kinda like that you start in media res, right? Mm-hmm. Things suck. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you've marched halfway across the
1: world <laughs> with the hope of defeating him, and boy was that a mistake. <laughs> uh,
0: you lost. What do you do now?
1: Exactly. To kind of walk it back, the, the background of this game, right? So this is the second major commercial hack of Blades in the Dark. Uh, it was written by Stras Asimovic and John LaBeouf Little. It had a pretty long beta um, because I think it was promised as a stretch goal and part of the original Blades in the Dark Kickstarter. Um, so it has been like kind of in players' hands for quite some time. Um, and then you can also buy it early on drive Through, like play the beta and then get the final version. Uh, but it was finally officially released at Gen Con this
0: year by Off Guard Games and Evil Hat. Yeah, uh, you ended up picking it up, uh, leafing through it, and then, well, looking at the schedule for our home group and saying, wow, it's going to be a long time before we can actually play this. Well, actually,
1: so a big part of it, too, is just that it it kind of has a hard cap of five players and one GM, uh, which makes it a difficult game to get to our table with you know up to eight players.
0: Right. Yeah, I think there is in the very back of the book like hey, if you want to try to play with 6, here's how you could potentially do it.
1: Yeah, but even then like uh-huh. adding two more from that and then also playing like uh, a combination of consistent characters versus like rotating characters like it it would be very hard for our group to do, but right. um like since we since we first saw Blades in the Dark, right? Like and I heard about this hack of it like I've been clocking this game, so when it was released, like there was no doubt that I was buying it. And then I read it, and I love it, and I was like, "We have to do a stream of it now. <laughs> like, let's get let's get three people we like together, and uh, let's play this game because it's it's amazing."
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that like it is a tabletop. It's a tabletop RPG game, but it has a lot of elements of like a board game mm-hmm. um, that you bring in. But we'll get into that later. So first off, let's start. Out by talking about the actual uh, fictional in-game setting, because there's a a pretty detailed history of it that has led up to like the beginning of where you start the game.
1: It's it's interesting that you say there's a detailed history because like we'll walk through this, but the the detail of the history is like points in time where you get maybe a page or two about what happened, Um, and then in total it's maybe like twenty five pages you know like and it's it's a small book too it's like a small form factor book it's not even like a a full size like eight and a half by ten right like it's not a detailed
0: history if you're thinking about forgotten realms right exactly (laughs) like
1: there's just like there are lots of like evocative words like proper nouns and then just very little explanation of the detail of them right so like it gives you things to hang to um without like demanding that you have mastery of every of every possibility right like it, it insists that you will fill in these blanks as you play and i think that's like one of the things that makes it really cool is they they've balanced giving you the right amount of history with the right amount of room to write your own story
0: yeah it can add a lot of replayability to like the same sort of timeline right because you're almost all games in Banner blades will start right around the same time like right after the battle of etenmark field and uh-huh. you know now the legion is essentially like Uh, retreating in the face of a horde of undead right? and like we talked before about one of the things we really like about the Eberron setting is that there are these mysteries that are not canonically answered and every table is supposed to figure those out themselves this sort of takes that almost to an extreme Mm -hmm. for example the main thing that's happening in the world right now is the Cinder King has raised an army of undead now he was able to do that because he found a nine pointed uh, crown of true fire what the hell is that no idea it's up to you Yeah, what is true fire? Don't know. (laughs) Like, radiant light, I guess. Do do nine points matter? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, you tell us. Is the Cinder King a dude? I don't know. Yeah, could be. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the
1: actual history of the setting. Yeah, so they give you roughly an 800-year timeline um, that has roughly 12 events in it. Um, It's a low fantasy setting, so there's no dwarves, no elves, no orcs. Um, it is early Renaissance technology, so you have like black powder firearms, but it's still mostly like combat is driven by swords and bows and arrows and shields and pikes and spears and cavalry and, um, you know, like clever military formations and not necessarily like
0: gunpowder. Yeah, like at the high end, I think it's like Napoleonic at the extreme. At
1: the very extreme, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um,
1: if you were extremely well equipped,
0: well-funded, well-disciplined, like maybe Napoleonic, yeah. So you play as a member of the Legion, which was founded as an elite unit under the personal banner of the Emperor Tantarus uh, back under the old empire, uh, probably four to six hundred-ish years ago. Yep. Uh, And then the old empire fell at some point. (laughs) Right. And then the Legion turned into a mercenary company. Right, because
1: you were, you know, the best of the best, and it was like, well... I'm sure we can find a new patron. So that's what they did. Um, when the old empire falls, it gives way to like eight or nine nations. Um, sort of there's like Eastern nations and Western nations. Um, four of them are playable heritage in the game. Uh, the others just kind of get name checked and a couple of them get a little more detail about like what kind of place they are. Yeah.
0: And two of them uh, become optional heritages. Yeah. I really like, and I mentioned this on the stream actually, the way that religion is treated in Banner Blades. So the gods exist; they have names.
1: Yeah, every every nation, every culture has their own gods.
0: Right, but they don't answer prayers. They don't really seem to care about people all that much. They're more like forces of nature. Mm-hmm. However, when humanity desperately needs the gods to intervene in some manner, and the gods are actually pretty fickle about what the the, the kind of thing that they are interested in, like actually getting involved in, right? Like right. Earthquake? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Volcano? Probably.
1: Cinder king rising in the west?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, we'll get involved if there's a cinder king, (laughs) fine. (laughs) But the way that they intervene is that they nominate a human being and infuse them with divine power, and that person becomes a chosen. And then that chosen is tasked with completing some sort of objective and after they complete it, they they burn out. Basically, the divine power within them has worn out their body, and they die.
1: Right. These Chosen are basically the only magic users in the setting, with the maybe the exception of the Cinder King. Um, and then the other cool thing is that ancient Chosen like have left behind magic um, both in their gear, in the things that were like important to them. Um, and then also just in their bones, right? Like their, their physical remains um, can also become powerful artifacts or reliquaries or, or other objects that have sort of mystical power even today.
0: Right. In the same way that like in the real world, people venerate the remains of saints uh, mm-hmm. and might say that they have like healing powers, uh, in Band of Blades, they actually do. And you actually have a fair number of, like, relics from Chosen because throughout history you've had a Chosen show up, fix a problem, and then a few years later probably dies. Right, exactly. So another another big part of the setting is alchemy.
1: So alchemy is treated as a science that produces sort of magic-like effects. Um, it's sort of the way that technology moves forward mostly. Um, so it is studied and refined, like, chemistry, though obviously it produces, like, more like magically inclined solutions to problems so for example like owl sight oil is an oil that you literally rub in your eyes uh, but it gives you night vision and then blinds you in the morning
0: right uh, or the sniper uh, which is a type of legionnaire that you can play for example can have if you want an alchemical eye where lets them see invisible things right however <laughs> because this is a dark fantasy setting One of the effects of the Cinder King showing up and then later corrupting other magic users is that currently the use of alchemy now corrupts alchemists and people who use it. Right. Uh, So basically, uh, if you do have an alchemist attached to your legion, they can create potions and things like that. But eventually, they're basically going to burn themselves out. Essentially, they're going to go mad or turn evil or something, and the legion will then need to put them down.
1: Yeah, they'll become too corrupt. Uh, and,
0: and eventually like either give over to the taint of the cinder king or need to be killed so this actually isn't the worst war that this land has seen in history
1: yeah so that's the other kind of cool thing it's like 200 years ago uh before the cinder king was even a thought the gods themselves went to war with each other they all nominated chosen their chosen raised armies and they fought amongst themselves with the divine power of their own gods This is mostly just a background event, except for one of the chosen that's available um, to be like accompanying the Legion is Zora, who is the chosen of the living god of Zemya, who like smited the nation of Dar. Like the whole nation. A whole nation. (laughs) nation. Like lightning struck and it turned it to a cursed, ashen wasteland. Um, Now, like the people from Dar are considered to be cursed and people are very superstitious even about like their currency and like they all like they look like ashen people like they have like gray ash skin and when they leave the longer they spend away from dar like the more their life kind of like drains from them and eventually they literally turn to ash if they don't return to dar
0: i love that what little information you get about dar was once at the center of dar there was a plateau and on that plateau was a 10-pointed crown of true fire exactly <laughs> where's it now uh huh
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't know. Like there is a crown of true fire on the Cinder King. There's a uh, a halo of true fire on Zora, <laughs> and there is a crown of true fire in Dar, or there was, who knows.
0: Now, all uh, this giant cataclysm did create the gap, which is essentially a a giant canyon where the earth was rent apart by the power of Zora's smiting. Uh, And the creation of this nearly destroyed the entire legion two hundred years ago. the The fate of the legion has ebbed and flowed over the past several centuries. (laughs) Yeah, like
1: the gods' war was not good to the legion; almost eliminated them to a man. Um, The gap is kind of funny because you mentioned it on the stream, um, but the gap actually does abut the ocean, and at high tide, the ocean flows into the gap, Ah. and it has been doing so for two hundred years. And the gap has not filled with water. <laughs>
0: cool. So either it recycles or it's very, very deep. <laughs> so that was 200 years ago. Now, skip forward to basically current day. I think from the beginning of a Bandablades campaign, five years prior is when the Cinder King arises. Um, like you said, he initially used sorcery to kill everyone in an entire city and then raise them all as his first army of undead far in the west
1: and so naturally like this is bad one of the gods uh, chose someone that chosen confronted the cinder king and the cinder king just says you're broken Uh, you are now on my side like I I have ended your divine will and your sorcery now belongs to me
0: Uh, how did that happen
1: don't know through the cinder king's magic Um, he so it is known that he has like sort of this cursed blood called cinder blood um, which he can use to infuse people create you know undead monsters to uh strengthen the living um but there's there's not really like a definition of how a breaking happens in the game it just does
0: yeah i like that again that's one of those mysteries Uh, you don't know how it happened but it also means that there is no canonical answer to can it be undone um is this a a permanent thing do you have to slay a chosen you know i mean a lot of those questions are, are sort of like beyond the scope of a typical um band of blades game but it is something that like one of your chosen could like uh go out and and attempt to do in the background right and, and like fictionally those are things that every game group can sort of answer for themselves exactly or discover for themselves right but, like part of the uh system is that there are consequences to every kind of action and even successful actions also often have like negative consequences so it could be that like One of the negative consequences of one of your research roles is you find out, no, it is impossible to undo a breaking. (laughs) Yeah, whoops. (laughs) Sucks that you rolled a three. (laughs) (laughs) Probably want to hide that
1: information from the broken.
0: All right, so the Cinder King now has uh, a broken, a former chosen on his side, basically like a very high level lieutenant yeah
1: so he has an army he has a very dangerous lieutenant he starts marching across uh like from west to east um across aldermark uh he conquers the confederacy of Royan, uh without Royan ever manifesting a chosen which is strange
0: Uh, that just sounds to me like whatever god is in Royan was like "Mm, not gonna make that same mistake (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but that's a mystery we don't know why they never got a chosen So the Syndicate continues marching across Aldermark. uh, The Aldermani have twin gods, and uh, one of their chosen is then also broken. Yeah, so they they choose twins, uh, so two
1: chosen, and uh, one of them breaks. That sucks. So when this happens, as he starts marching across Aldermark, the gods of the east also choose, uh, almost immediately, and they choose an unprecedented nine chosen.
0: All at the same time. Right. who begin immediately amassing armies and outfitting those armies with an alchemical product that was previously just a novelty called Blackshot. Right. Uh, it turns out that Blackshot is extremely effective against the undead, uh,
1: and the armies of the Eastern Nations, the, the four nations of Or, Barda, Panya, and uh, Zemya, are able to
0: drive the Cinder King back and sort of reclaim lots of Aldermark. All right, so this is pretty intense, right? There are There's a Cinder King, an army of undead. Um, there's uh, several broken at his side. There are now nine uh, divine avatars with armies at their back, and this is going to be a great clash. This is basically Pelennor Field. This is the climax of the novel. What happens then? The great breaking happens.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess it begs the question, great for who? <laughs> but five of the chosen that march are then broken. Um, however the line the human lines hold uh, they are able to actually resist this
0: right now one of uh, the chosen who is broken is the chosen of Nyx, the goddess of the moon and when that happens the entire moon in the sky shatters mm-hmm. <laughs> so that sucks <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how that affected the sea rushing into the gap <laughs> uh, i mean it hopefully it broke at low tide Alright, so, just a little while ago, uh, the remaining armies and the remaining Chosen fought a last-ditch attempt to save the world. What happened then? Yeah, so,
1: they drive the Cinder King back, they try to, like, choose their point, shoot their shot, and they they confront him at uh, the Battle of Ettenmark Fields. Um, they ride in, this is what they think will be the final battle, right? They believe in this, and humanity loses hard (laughs) like they they just they're defeated and in the process they are now retreating and on the run marching back to the east um hoping to cross the mountains and rally a final
0: stand um in the the four eastern nations so the legion which has historically had up to maybe 2000 members and probably had several hundred at Ettenmark Field is now left with a few dozen. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh just a few squads, um just a handful of specialists and what's left of the command staff and you are um tasked by a chosen to reach Skydagger Keep in the mountains and hold it through the winter so that the nations of the east can rally and hopefully resist for a final stand. And that's the game (laughs) is your march to Skydagger and then your hope of holding it through the winter.
0: Right. Success is successfully running away from the undead, gathering enough supplies to make sure that you can get through completing missions so that you can make it all the way to Sky Dagger keep and then holding it through the winter. Correct. After that, who knows? Maybe humanity loses hard again. We're not at that point yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly um the game does allude to like the results of uh like it gives you a way to generate like the outcome for the legion at Skydagger. so once that um once you you play through that and those results are meant to inform like the next phase of the campaign uh which hasn't been published or anything like that but can can give you the starting point for what does the legion look like um as they are now they have held the mountain or lost the mountain but now Like need to reunite with the rest of the armies and try to finally oppose the Cinder King.
0: Okay, so let's say that your group is playing as uh, legionnaires, or even just people who are living in uh, this area of the world at this terrible time in history. What are some themes that groups should be prepared to deal with?
1: So I think the biggest one is horror. Um, there are different flavors of horror throughout, and this is largely informed by the choices you make as a group for which Broken will feature in your campaign. Um, but it could include body horror, could include psychological horror, um, trickery and witchcraft, and that sort of thing, as well as like just totalitarian and sort of authoritarian um, horror, like the the idea of the living being press gang to serve the dead, um, the the idea of like um, military leaders on either side committing atrocities and sacrifices that are completely ignoble Um, like all of that can really feed into it as well as just like hey zombies are gross like (laughs) zombies that have been deliberately like modified for um, the purposes of hurting people and like being more disgusting that's even more gross
0: (laughs) right spitting acid they have uh, armor like bolted into their flesh there are living zombies who have had their free will taken away but they're still alive and suffering
1: they have uh, you know have their eyes sewn shut so that their um, their sense of smell is further honed, but their ch- like their limbs are literally chained together um, so they can tr- act as dogs. Uh, it, it's some of it can be pretty gruesome.
0: And it's up to you how much you lean into description of that. Uh, I, I think you know we did this in our stream. Uh, this is a setting where you definitely want to have the talk uh, about like lines and veils and the X card.
1: So, and and to its credit, right, that's identified in page one and two and three. Mm -hmm. Um, And they give you like safety mechanic tools to reference um, specifically to have those conversations. So it it very much acknowledges that like horror is is as important or as unimportant as your group determines. Mm -hmm.
0: Another theme you can really lean into is military sacrifice. Um, You know, the traditional Band of Blades game is you are part of a military company. Uh, you are sent out on missions, and those missions must succeed even if individuals on that mission die. Right. Uh, and, like, there's not really a way to play the actual Band of Blades game without having people die.
1: Yes, that is a resource like any other, is the the members of the company themselves, mm-hmm. the members of the Legion. Um, You know, and, and part of it, too, is, like, you might not understand the full reach of the mission, even as, like, the commanders, right? Like you might not understand the purpose of this mission. It's just that the objective is what it is and it's important. Um, So somebody is going to make a sacrifice in the process, right? Like who is going to die in order to secure this place
0: or achieve this goal? Right. And the setting is very focused on sort of building up the backstories and the interactions between characters that are on these like small squads and off on these intense missions together because if you do survive, you know, and most of the squad typically will survive, you now have a shared history together. And then, eventually, two, three, ten missions down the line, when one of you dies, now that impact is felt even more severely. Right. It's very like Band of Brothers in that way. Yes, exactly.
1: So then, the other theme is sort of a gray morality. Um, but what I what I do like is they're very insistent that the enemies are black and white. Right, like, there's no redeeming the Cinder King. He's evil. There's no redeeming the broken. They're evil. Um, The undead are abominations. They are not alive. They cannot be saved. But, you know, the Legion aren't necessarily saints. (laughs) You know, like, they could be bad people who have joined a mercenary company because they like to hurt things. Right. They might not treat the civilian population or even other military units that are allied with them with respect or dignity or or anything else. Right. Like they might screw over other living people to save themselves and achieve their objectives, which, you know, like is sort of that romantic cut of the Blackguard. You know, (laughs) like like you have a, a greater enemy and you will oppose them, but that doesn't necessarily
0: make you the good guys. And you may have people in the same squad who very much differ in what they're willing to do to other civilians in order to achieve a mission. Exactly. Um, Or like secondary
1: objectives, right, that you you might ignore or partake in in order to like kind of ease your conscience, right? Like do you rescue prisoners of war? Do you rescue captive refugees? um, Or do you leave them to their fate?
0: We alluded to this earlier but part of the reason there is a lot of that tension is you're dealing with dwindling resources and uh, as resources drop tension rises. Uh, This sort of feeds into the board game aspect of the game. You have you actually keep track of, you know, how much supply do you have, how much food, how much materiel, um, how many like, mercies do you have at your beck and call, how many alchemists do you have to use, and how corrupted are each of those alchemists, depending on what projects they're working on, how many siege weapons do you have, do you have enough horses? And which of your six squads is
1: like currently fit enough to serve on this mission, right? right. Which, of your, which of your specialists is out of the medical tent at least enough to lead the mission?
0: Right, we want yeah. to send in the ghost elves because they are the quietest, and this is a recon mission. However, like half of them uh, are like on their last legs, so I think we might have to send in the amber wolves, and they are very loud. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you have to make those choices, right? And also, like, what resources do you equip them with to make sure their mission is successful and how much do you just say no sorry like we can't spare that you have to make do with what you
0: have right they're always divided attentions uh, you right. never have just one mission that you're focusing on you always have at least two sometimes three and so you send out specialists with certain supply j- as judged by the quartermaster on this mission you have another mission other people have to go do that one and they have to have you know other supply and you probably don't have enough to outfit them both as well as you want Exactly.
1: Um, And then I think the last theme of this game, um, kind of counterintuitively, is hope. Part of the game, the setup, right, is you choose which of the broken will oppose you, but you also choose which of the chosen you work with. Um, And I think depending on the chosen you choose, you might have, like, a different kind of relationship, but each of them represent a hope for humanity in sort of a different form. Like, Shreya is the um, chosen of the goddess of mercy, so she's about, like,
0: mercy and tending to people and like noble sacrifice right whereas the horned one is a shapeshifter who is the chosen of the uh horned god of the forest of panya whose other god is nix the moon who was destroyed Mm -hmm. right so (laughs) she shows up and is like i'm about uh, mystic power ancient knowledge all kinds of uh, different spells and like animal spirits Uh, i have antlers on my head I probably am not really even human anymore right now and yet maybe i am humanity's last best hope
1: yeah one one thing that's interesting is that um the horned one as a chosen like her name is the horned one as is the name of the god right all the other chosen have a name and they are the chosen of a different named god like the 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 horned one like kind of is the embodiment of the god the horned one so it's kind of interesting and then Zora, who is the Chosen that we chose for the stream, is more of like a, a militant kind of Chosen who is all about boldness and rising to the challenge and defying the odds and like standing by bravery and brotherhood to overcome challenges. Um, like Her thing is that she tests her followers, right? She only wants the best she believes like iron sharpens iron.
0: Yeah, I like that the Chosen are specifically written as... Difficult to understand. Like when you become a chosen, your old humanity is often mostly lost. Like you might still remember friends and family, but you don't have the same connections. Your personality may change uh, almost entirely. It makes the interaction with your chosen also potentially fraught with complications, which is also more interesting. Right. Like they're not just your mascot, they're definitely not just your mascot.
1: Yeah. And they're not just like a distant sorcerer who powers you up yeah, like they are. They are a present character for the GM to play. Right.
0: Sometimes they'll come with you on a mission and then like they're in charge. They're deciding things and you just sort of need to work around them. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's talk about about the actual game system for this game, because also uh, we've had some people on our discord channel who've asked about forged in the dark games in general.
1: Yeah, so Band of Blades is a Forged in the Dark game, which means it follows the similar kind of play structure as um, Blades in the Dark or Scum and Villainy. Um, so, the there's a fundamental dichotomy between like a mission phase and a campaign phase, and you use different rules um, and like different process of interaction for the two. And you uh, play a different character. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, which is actually a little bit unique to um, Band of Blades. So in Mission Phase, uh, it is similar to other Forged in the Dark games in terms of mechanics. Um, What makes it unique, as you mentioned, you don't always play the same character. Um, So you might play a specialist, uh, like a scout, a heavy, a medic. They have their own playbooks. You might play a soldier who is like a veteran member of a squad uh, who has like a separate playbook. Or you might play a rookie who is like a new recruit pressed into service, probably not fully trained um hoping to survive this mission and make it to become a soldier uh which is again its own playbook and you can promote from the three levels so a rookie can become a soldier can become a specialist
0: yeah uh, and this is a, a very interesting mechanic because like the rookies are typically just not as good at things as a soldier who is not as good as a specialist right but sometimes you play the character who is weaker because someone needs to play them right either they're getting npc like they're on the mission with you you always are going to have some rookies with you or um some soldiers with you because you you can't all play specialists actually there's a limit to two sometimes three on any given mission right uh so if you you know if you have four or five players someone is playing a, a soldier or a rookie Part of the reason you want to do that is, you know, it's interesting to also play the person who isn't necessarily the one in charge or isn't necessarily uh, the person who is the most skilled, but is, like, learning. You're seeing war from, like, the eyes of someone who's never been in battle before. And then you're also gaining XP and slowly leveling them up. And you can have, if you're lucky, someone who used to be a rookie ends up a soldier and maybe even ends up a specialist because they've played... Like someone in the group has played them enough or multiple people in the group have played them enough to get to the point where they now have this entire history of like um, their combat victories
1: right and then just realistically the sacrifices that you have to make in order to keep that rookie alive to become a soldier and that soldier alive to become a specialist like that kind of becomes the whole group's character because mm-hmm. everybody has paid a price for it even if one one player is ultimately going to focus on playing them but mechanically like the game is basically driven by action roles um, so you'll Um, have a rating from 1 or from 0 to 4 in a given action, so things like shoot or wreck or research Um, you will roll a number of d6s equal to um, your rank in it um, there are a couple things you can do to get some bonus dice, but ultimately it comes down to what is your position for the roll? What is the effect that you're trying to get? And what are the consequences of the outcome? So um, the, the die roll is actually very simple. Um, if you roll a die and get a six, you get what you
0: want. Right, you take the highest of, of the dice that
1: you roll. Yeah, yeah, you take the highest result. Um, if the highest result is a 6, you basically get what you want. If it's a 4 or a 5, you get what you want, but you face some consequence. And if you get a 1 to 3, then you fail, and you also face some consequence. So the the principle of it is that the fiction comes first, and that there's never a roll where nothing happens. If you're rolling, it's to find out what is the consequence of this. Um, so we actually had this in the stream in the first, first episode, where um, we were sneaking up to a door and amber uh, one of the players said that she wanted to check for traps and we were like kind of talking about what that means and what we're trying to do there and then you pointed out like checking for traps isn't really a thing that we do what we do is we overcome this obstacle right Mm -hmm. like we get through this door what are you doing to do that and one of the potential consequences or one of the potential effects is you checked for traps in the process found it disabled it or consequence You checked for traps and accidentally triggered a trap, and now you're taking harm or or an alarm has gone off or, you know, something has happened as a result, but your roll will tell us exactly what happened as you went through the door. We assume that you're trying to go through the door using your rigging skill, you know, like you're going to rig the door so you can get through it.
0: Right. And if it turns out that like the GM is like, well, actually didn't make any sense for this particular door to be trapped because it's used too often or whatever, then you just sort of move the story forward to when something interesting happens. You know, my goal is to get through the door. You get through the door and then, you know, the next time something happens is when you're at the bottom of the stairs on the other side of that door and you hear something or see something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Of course, any effect that occurs, you have the option to resist. Um, So this is everything from damage that comes to you to, you know, um, winding up in a compromised position to just, you know, general like effects in the story that you don't want to happen. Um, You can roll to resist, which allows you to take stress um, as a consequence instead of whatever the result was. Um, so you have two damage tracks. Stress is kind of your soft damage. Um, that creates changes in your character's like disposition. Um, you eventually get trauma, and trauma impacts your character. And eventually kills you. <laughs> oh yeah, it does eventually kill you. But trauma, when it affects your role playing, um, offers you XP as well. So it's like a, you can get XP by playing into your trauma, or you can completely ignore them and say that you know, oh my character is like very stern. Um, and is overcoming that for the sake of the mission Mm -hmm. and it never comes into effect it never harms your character but you've lost an xp trigger Um, and then you have harm which is like physical results um, that occur to you um, that cause like different kind of um mechanical impact to your character so like you might lose a die on an action where um sprained ankle uh would be relevant right or you might um you might
0: be out of a scene because you took a level three harm,
1: like bleeding out or something like that.
0: This will be familiar to anyone who's played Blades in the Dark before. Uh, all of the roles and all the storytelling are focused on action. You skip over the, the boring things, but that does mean that there isn't a whole lot of time for pre-planning ahead. Actually, that all of that is skipped and it's handled in flashbacks where everyone just says, hey, I think we reasonably could have or would have prepared for this, right? Did I bring rope? Well, I am a soldier. Uh, rope is not that heavy. I think I would have brought rope. And everyone can just say, yes, you did bring rope. Or uh, a grappling hook? Well, that seems like a it's a bit more preparation. You can spend a bit of stress and say, hey, I did do that.
1: Or what you guys decided to do in the first episode, which was, hey, do you remember how we set up this plan to, to shoot a flare and then have a, have a major like grappling ballista shoot an arrow into this keep? And then we would rappel down that, that line across the wall and out to
0: freedom? Uh, It costs a lot of stress, and I will say uh, offering a convenient flashback like that works much better when you're 15 minutes away from the end of your stream. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. But the
1: point is, you didn't have to make three plans for how you were going to escape from the keep. You knew that when you got there and it was time to escape, that you could flashback to whatever the right solution was um, given what you were doing. Right, assuming that one hadn't already presented itself. Right. So, so it gives you this ability to just skip to the action rather than wasting your time planning things that might not ever matter. Right. All right. So that's the mission phase. Now you also play the campaign phase. Yeah. So this is completely unique to Band of Blades. Um, it takes the place of like the crew in blaze in the dark or the ship in scum and villainy so it this is where you are playing the command staff of the legion and making decisions over where
0: the legion goes and how the legion spends its time and its resources right you will probably never actually take the field this is uh everyone standing around the table and like moving the small objects that represent troops along the map to figure out exactly where resources are getting spent and how we are deploying troops
1: yeah So by default, there are five roles in the game. They each have their own kind of play second playbook um, that includes all of their mechanics and they all interact with each other, which is what makes it kind of cool is like you have a choice, but you have to work with the other players. Right
0: now, everyone selects one of these roles and it doesn't change throughout the game, unlike uh, the mission playbooks that you might play of a Legionnaire. So there's the commander. This is the person who decides when and where the Legion is going to march and which missions they uh, decide to take and which ones they have to ignore.
1: Right. Um, so his playbook literally has a map in it in which you mark where the legion is on the map and these locations are all sort of defined in a similar way um, to how the history of the world is defined and that there's like some descriptive like suggestions of like what's going on in these locations like who is who is there what's there like maybe some special rules but otherwise like you don't necessarily like like have like a whole lot of fiction that's defined for you when you get to east lake versus getting to the western front you know like there's just some brief description and then you go right
0: now when the commander uh after getting advice from uh, the rest of the command staff decides what mission the legion is going to undertake the marshal decides which legionnaires and which squads are going to get sent on each of those missions right uh, now, the marshal is responsible for detailing all of the squads. You uh, name and build any specialists that uh, other people haven't built. You uh, name and build uh, the squads, um, any rookie uh, or any soldier who was recruited, who isn't already built by someone else, that's you. You keep track of all those people. You know who is in every squad at all times. Exactly. Uh, the quartermaster decides what resources get invested in which
1: projects, in which missions. Um, they also decide how to spend downtime for the legion. So you spend your downtime to like heal and recover wounds. You also spend your downtime like to decompress and like improve morale and like recover your stress. You spend downtime to work on long-term projects, like you know developing like some special like massive cannon that can uh, pack enough black shot to actually hurt a broken you know like that's a that's a thing that you would spend
0: downtime resources like investing time in yeah now those three rules the commander the marshal and the quartermaster are required in order to play the game and the marshal and the quartermaster are probably more like um they have more fiddly bits there's a lot more mm-hmm. like note keeping and tracking
1: right and then the commander is kind of more like high level strategic but needs to have a grasp of where the, where the company is overall
0: right there are two optional roles. Um, you choose one of them if you have four players and uh, you use both of them if you have five players. First is the lore keeper, who keeps the Annals of the Legion, which is a history, the entire history of the Legion from its founding. Um, it exists, it is all written down, but it is up to the players at the table to figure out what exactly the Annals say about this particular thing, or you know what happened 400 years ago, whenever that's relevant.
1: Yeah. So what's cool about this role is that you are meant to track everyone who dies in the campaign, and then every fourth legionnaire who dies, you um, gather everyone together and recite a story from the history of the legion in order to give them bonuses on like their next thing. Right. Um, so it can like suddenly give them better morale, or it can give them a bonus to their next mission or something like that. Because you know you are you are investing the power of the the legion's history into the troops
0: right like and it's up to you what story you tell you're the lore keeper and there are some options it'll say like tell the legion a story about how the legion has been in worse positions than this before and overcome exactly and then there's the spy master who builds a spy network in order to improve the actions of other command staff Uh, you can choose two up to three spies you send them out to different locations and they are trying to do things like recruit additional spies or find out intel
1: uh, you also have long term projects as a spy like mm-hmm. you can you can develop like other mechanical changing effects in the game by investing spies time as well so of course this is not the only system that you could potentially interact with the campaign setting um obviously i think man of blades tells the story of the legion really well but uh, a game like Zweihander might be an interesting way like kind of a, a dark low fantasy kind of game might be a way of telling the story of heroes or bandits or something like that who are dealing with the incursion of the undead in their area but not necessarily involved in the war effort
0: Hmm. Uh, I think if you want to play in the world of Banner Blades, but don't necessarily want to follow the retreat of the Legion, although you could. You, if you want to avoid most of the mechanics of the game, you can use pretty much any Star Wars system. I think this works really well as like Mandalorians out on the front. Oh yeah, or even rebels retreating in in the face of like Imperial walkers. Yeah. Um.
1: And then the other thing is, if if you want to play as like Chosen. Right, like doing chosen things. Um, games like maybe Dungeons and Dragons could be interesting if like you were high like level kind D&D. of mid or higher levels, mm-hmm. but like Exalted would also be a really good. Um, Are you recommending Exalted? <laughs> I'm never recommending Exalted, <laughs> but if you happen to already be playing Exalted and wanted to play a Band of Blades game with Exalted, I, I think that would make sense. Like, Exalted characters have the kind of absurd power that Chosen have, mm-hmm. uh, and you would be dealing with, you know, war on the scale of. Superheroes,
0: Right, and like actually facing the broken in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, exactly. Like your, your lowest level threats would be like high-level lieutenants. <laughs> and then something like Genesis, uh, which is easily adaptable to pretty much anything. And I think Genesis specifically because there are a lot of decisions that you make that are fiction first. Yeah, Genesis also
1: handles like um, open-ended settings very well. Like it, it gives you opportunities to fill in what's going on um, pretty well in its mechanics. Right.
0: Alright, so I mean I think we've already answered this question, but we do ask it every single time we do one of these uh, episodes on campaign settings. Shane, would you play games set in Band of Blades? I mean, yes, but also like I'm
1: I'm so looking forward to what we're doing with Stream of Blades. Like I think I would play another game with a different system set in the campaign setting that we have like kind of created together in Stream of Blades, doing something else.
0: Yeah, there are I mean, this is such a small area of the world. There are a lot of other places that you could be exploring and that certainly are reeling from the the armies of undead raised by the Cinder King. There are a lot of stories to be told in a very bleak setting like this.
1: There's also just like a throwaway line in there of like when the Legion joined the fight against the Cinder King, like they marched with a Barton general. Um, but they they enlisted or they were hired um, after serving in the Isles. It doesn't say what the Isles are. They're not on any map anywhere. There's just a whole other place in the world that we could have been before. And I just, I kind of want to know what it was. Like once we know our characters, right? Like I want to find out their origin story.
0: Yeah, we were pirates, obviously. I mean, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I think even if you're not necessarily going to play the game of Band of Blades, definitely check out the setting because it's very cool.
1: Yeah, and it's a very easy read of a book too, I will say. It is not a, it's, I read 450 pages in a week. You know, it was, uh, it was a good read. I was at the beach. I was the nerd. <laughs> All right, do you hear that, Ishan? I think that's the
0: sound of jar breaking.
1: Well, that can only mean one thing. It's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and fill that gap. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous.
0: And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil carne That's malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill.
1: And you can also join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes.
0: I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Beholder share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative— Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit BeholdHerPodcast.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge Shane, we are building the Mercy. I don't think we actually mentioned what these do yet. No, I did that on purpose. Cool. All (laughs) right, so
1: what is a Mercy? So a Mercy is one of the disciples of the Goddess of Mercy, Asrika. Um, They are uh, people, you know, regular humans, who are devotees of the goddess that are infused with her divine power in order to provide healing to people. Um, but the way that their healing occurs, like the way that they grant Asrika's mercy is they absorb the injuries from other. like they magically transfer those injuries upon themselves and then they just suffer them and heal them faster because of their connection to the goddess. So like if you have a broken leg, I will break my own leg to heal yours and then I will heal my leg in like a couple days and it would take you weeks or months
0: it still hurts just as much though oh yeah 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 yeah. this is pain (laughs) (laughs) alright what's the build so the build
1: is evocation wizard 14 life cleric 3 land druid 3
0: so from wizard we get 7th level spells and I believe the spell we're here for is life transference yes uh, that is a
1: third-level necromancy spell. Um, at its uh, At its base, it does 48 necrotic damage to the caster and then heals a target for double the necrotic damage suffered. All right, that sounds very merciful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get, like, Evoker Wizard stuff, so you get, like, potency on your cantrips and whatever. Um, we're not really here for any of that stuff. We're really here for level 14, which is over-channel.
0: So this gives you maximum damage on a spell up to 5th level. We'll we'll be using that on life transference. Exactly. So if you're doing 48 damage, uh, like
1: kind of a base 3rd level spell, you'll take 32 damage and heal an ally for 64. Uh, If you upgrade that to 5th level, like do a higher level casting, you'll take 48 damage and heal an ally for 96. That's a lot but it gets better <laughs> it gets better <laughs> so one of the rules of overchannel is that if you use it more than once per long rest it deals an additional 2d12 necrotic damage to you right it deals to the caster Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it deals to mm-hmm. the caster yes exactly the wording on this is like typical 5e wording and that it you know it doesn't really provide you a proper order of operations um i would argue that that 2d12 damage should also be like converted into healing um when you use it so you could maybe give yourself a little extra healing out of that Um, though of course you risk taking up to 24 extra damage (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the rest of this build is all around how do we get more benefit and how do we deal with um, over channeling our life
0: transference Mm -hmm. alright so from 3 levels of cleric we'll get great spells like bless, cure wounds, lesser restoration you'll be able to cast spiritual weapon as a domain spell, all those things that a good healer should be able to do Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You'll get the Disciple of Life ability, which
1: gives uh, 2 plus the spell level extra healing per use of a healing spell. Um, So that will apply to your uh, life transference, but it will also apply to a spell that we get later. Um, And then last, you'll get Channel Divinity Preserve Life, which just lets you heal 15 hit points among your allies. It's not a lot of healing or a great use, but you have it.
0: And from Druid, well, you get Wild Shape, sure, but... We're here for Healing Spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. Best spell. At base, you cast Healing Spirit at second level, which gives an extra five points of healing from Disciple of Life for everyone who benefits from Healing Spirit, which can be the entire party.
1: Yeah, so Disciple of Life is from, like, the use of a healing spell. It doesn't say the casting or anything like that. So whenever somebody uses Healing Spirit, uh, they will gain an extra five hit points, which turns it from 1d6 uh per creature per round for for 10 rounds <laughs> for 10 rounds yep to 1d6 plus 5 hit points per creature per round meaning the maximum
0: healing is now the minimum healing so i think for leveling order we'll go straight to wizard 5 to kick to pick up life transference uh cleric 3 to maximize it and also keep yourself alive mm-hmm. druid 3 and then finish out wizard with a nice capstone on over channel All right, before we wrap
1: up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon
0: supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about desert adventures. And in the character
1: creation forge, we're building the Wasteland Ravager. Well, that's it for episode 217 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Eshan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by our friends at Cobalt Press. Do you want to learn how to game master, world build, run uh-huh. combat, design yep. games? Please. And more. Oh, yes, definitely I want
0: the and more. From the pros? D- uh, yes, I don't want it from any amateurs. Good, yes. Well, then, you can check out the multiple any-winning Cobalt guides over at com. What is in each of these guides, Ishan? Look, each of these any-winning guides, and I don't know if you know, but that's a lot, wait do you think there are
1: multiple kobold guides that won an any or do you think the kobold guides overall have won multiple Emmys?
0: does it matter it does not because <laughs> each of them
1: includes advice from multiple industry pros like keith baker shauna germain monica Valatinelli, wolfgang bauer margaret weiss rob Schwab, and many more designers that you know and
0: love and there's a guide for almost every topic magic plots and campaigns even board game design and every single one of these tomes is chock full of advice
1: valuable both to newcomers and veteran gamers alike. Something that I think fits our ethos
0: a little bit. I am a veteran gamer, and yet often I'm like, I have no idea what I am doing. I feel much like a newcomer.
1: Well, but we try to give advice to newcomers and veteran gamers alike, you know? Like, we're, we're kindred spirits in this product. Total Party Thrill and
0: Cobalt Press, together. Mm-hmm. At us. Ship us. <laughs> <laughs> post this to your tumblr <laughs> slash fiction welcome <laughs> alright so you can find out more at Com to pick up the book that's right for you